Chapter Three of Cross Currents. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Craster. It was dark when a barefooted boy led into the Grand Central Station, a little girl in a rumpled black silk coat. The walk had been a long one for weary little feet unaccustomed to such journeyings. But it was taken by a soldier's daughter, and with a loved mother for a goal, hence its final accomplishment. For a minute after entering the waiting room, the lights were blinding. Then Margaret led the way straight to her old seat. She had no trouble in finding it, for she had sat there so long she knew its exact location. The seat was empty. Why, she she hasn't come yet, faltered Margaret. The boy noted the quivering chin and tightened his grip on the small hand. Ho, oh, she's just a sittin' somewhere else. That's all, he comforted cheerily. We'll take a look and see where she is. Now, some girls'd cry, and I ain't got no use for them kind of girls. But you being a soldier's daughter so, I ain't got to worry about that, have I? He finished. Certainly not, assured Margaret, gulping back the sobs that would rise in her throat. Come, we'll go find her. She probably preferred to sit somewhere else. In and out, the rows of seats trudged the two children, scrutinizing every woman's face being themselves, meanwhile, utterly unconscious of the many curious glances cast in their own direction by those who wondered at the ill-assorted pair. She had on a beautiful blue dress, and she said she was certain she wouldn't be gone but a minute, murmured Margaret, plaintively, after a time. She said twas just down a little way across the street, the boy stopped abruptly and pulled his companion to one side. Did ye say blue? He asked in a curiously strained voice. Did ye say a blue dress and did she go across the street? Yes, yes, nodded Margaret. The boy dropped the little girl's arm and fell back a step. He turned his gaze away from the wide-open blue eyes so earnestly questioning him. It seemed to him that they must see in his own eyes the reflection of the dreadful thought that had come to him. That limp form lifted into the ambulance a few hours before, in front of this very station. Was that the solution of the mystery? He had seen the whole thing and the woman was dressed in blue. Look a here, we we better be going, he stammered feverishly, again catching hold of Margaret's arm. I I I don't reckon she's coming no more tonight anyhow. Come, come home with me. To do this, however, Margaret stoutly refused, and not until the boy hit upon the plan of leaving a note in the seat for the mother did the child consent to stir from the place. Then, hungry, frightened, 
and so tired she could scarcely walk, she suffered herself to be led out into the warm June night. Ye see, it's the only way, soothed the boy, as they trudged along. Your ma ain't thar, and she ain't a coming ter night, I'm just sure. We can give ye something ter eat, that is if dad ain't around, and I reckon he won't be. He ain't you sober for two days yet. Besides, there's a letter, you know. The boy was proud of that letter. At the same time, he was a bit ashamed. It seemed a shabby thing, this taking advantage of such innocence. On the other hand, if he had not taken advantage of it, the poor little thing at his side would even now be back there in the station waiting for the mother who would never come. The boy was very sure the mother was dead. The note had been written on a torn scrap of brown paper with an old lead pencil stub which the boy had abstracted from the strings, marbles, nails, and cigar stumps in his pocket. It had been written at Margaret's dictation with an occasional remonstrative. I say, ain't thou anything smaller? From the boy, when a big word threatened ignominious defeat to the speller. As the note, half-printed, half-written, finally stood, it read, My darling mother, I have gone with the boy to get something to eat. I prefer to remain here, but my stomach refused to stay. I cannot go to you, but you can come to me, so come, please. Your affectionate, blurred with much erasing, daughter, Margaret. It was after what seemed to Margaret a very long time that the boy turned into a dirty hall and began to climb the stairs. Thar, here we be, he called back cheerily. Come right on up. Yes, I'm coming, sighed Margaret, dragging one foot after the other up the stairs and hoping that her voice did not show how very unpleasant she thought this little boy's home was with its hallways so dark and ill-smelling. "'My stars!' she panted at the bottom of the fourth flight. "'What a remarkable place for a parlour! Way up in the attic, so!' The boy did not hear. He had clattered up the last flight and burst open the door. "'Mumsy, look at what I bringed home this time!' "'Dear me, Bobby!' Your sick dogs and mangy cats'll be the death of me yet, returned a tired-sounding voice. I told ye last week I shouldn't let another one, Bobby McGuinness, broke off the voice sharply, as Margaret came into the shaft of light from the kerosene lamp. Where did you get that child? She's lost, Mumsy, and she's awful hungry. I bringed her home to get some grub. Her ma left her in Grand Central, and she got— Bobby crossed to his mother's side and finished his sentence under his breath so that the little girl by the door should not hear. Oh, Bobby, cried Mrs. McGuinness in a horrified voice as she darted over to the child and drew her gently into the room. But, Bobby, there's your father. 
Pooh! Don't ye fret none bout him. I see him sat day down to Lil Mike's, and he was with that long-haired anarchist feller. And ye know he always gets the biggest kind of a jag on when he's with him. He won't come botherin' round here yet a while. Like enough he's jugged anyhow by this time. Finished Bobby, hopefully. The woman shivered a little, then turned to the child at her side. What's your name, dearie? Margaret. Margaret what? Margaret Kendall. Where do ye live? The little girl hesitated and looked distressed. I mean, where is your home, dearie? Where do ye live? In a trunk, please. In a what? Margaret looked still more distressed. A trunk. I don't exactly understand it myself, ye see, but that's what mother said last night. She said, Sweetheart, it's been travel, travel, travel for a whole year, but next month we're going home. We've just been living in a trunk all the time. Say, Mumsy, ain't she great? Cut in Bobby, admiringly. She's been carrying on like that all the time. She's more fun than a circus. Hush, Bobby, hush, remonstrated Mrs. McGinnis. Then she turned again to the little girl. But where's the home that you're going to? You know that, don't ye, dear? Margaret shook her head. What's the name of the town? Don't you remember anything about it? Not anything? Margaret frowned and tried very hard to remember. She had her opinion of people who insisted upon asking all sorts of unnecessary questions when one was so tired and so hungry. But still, she must not forget to be very polite. No, thank you. I, oh, yes, I do. She broke off triumphantly. There's a big stone lion on each side of the steps where I live. That's the house. Bobby gave a wild whoop but his mother gave a sigh of despair. Margaret herself broke the pause that followed. "'If you please, ma'am,' she began timidly, "'if tisn't dinner-time yet, mayn't I go down into the kitchen and ask cook to give me something to eat? I'm so hungry.' "'Bless you, dear heart. Course you're hungry. And it's little enough I can give ye,' cried Mrs. McGuinness hurrying over to the cupboard, and beginning to put a few cracked dishes on the bare, not-over-clean table. There's bread and a cold frankfurter, but that ain't no supper for the likes of you. But such as tis, you're welcome. And I didn't even help ye off with your pretty hat, she added self-accusingly, as she saw Margaret tugging at the white ties under her chin. You are perfectly excusable, choked Margaret in her very politest manner. Then, to the consternation of all concerned, she burst into a storm of tears and sank to the floor. The strange people, the stranger place, the questioning, the dear mother who was nowhere to be found, so crushing an accumulation of woe 
was too much even for the daughter of a soldier, and at the last straw the brave little soul went down in defeat. It was a long cry, and a tempestuous one, and Bobby and his mother were at their wits' end before it ceased. Then after a supper of very dry bread and very sour milk, Margaret went to bed on the mattress in one corner of the room, not forgetting to kneel with clasped hands for a reverent, Now I lay me down to sleep. Long after Margaret in one corner and Bobby in another were in the land of dreams, Mrs. McGuinness sat thinking. Before her mind's eye was a little red farmhouse on a hill where had lived a sweet-faced woman at whose knee she herself had set the same, Now I lay me down to sleep. But that was years and years ago, long before she had run away with handsome young McGuinness, the hired man of the farm. And as Mrs. McGuinness in the attic room sat thinking, two men in a hospital many blocks distant met at the head of a stairway. "'Has she regained consciousness?' asked one. "'No, and when she does I doubt if it will do us much good. She'll not be the same, I fear.' "'And was there nothing about her to tell who she is?' "'Nothing, at least no name.' Her clothing was of the finest cut and texture, and everywhere was the monogram, A.W.K., but that's all. And was there no purse, no shopping bag? No. She must have had one, for she had evidently just made a purchase, an insignificant something that gave no clue to her identity. She was a stranger to the clerk that sold it, as we found upon investigating the firm name on the wrapping paper. The package was still in her hand, but the purse or bag must have dropped as she fell. She is evidently a person of some means and consequence, and I shall think would be missed, and ought to be easily traced. Still, if she's a stranger in town, that may complicate matters. Hmm. Too bad, too bad. I fear there'll be anxious hearts somewhere tonight. Bad case, too, isn't it? Yes, three fractures, a bad cut on the head, and I fear internal injuries besides. It's a question whether she ever comes out of it at all, or not. Hmm, too bad, too bad, muttered the man again as he turned away. End of chapter 3 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama